It's go time. Welcome everyone to Quick Kicks here on Third Down Gamble. Just a reminder that over the next two episodes, we're going to have Steve Daniel, Senior Director of Team Football Analytics, and he'll be on our podcast on December 29th, 2022. And Jeff Creever will follow him the first podcast of the year 2023 on January 5th. Jeff Creever, CFL Player and Game Statistics Director. He is a fascinating interview. And of course, Steve Daniel, a person that has been on our show, is amazing. So mark that down. Don Charbon, along with Heath Graham, and a very special guest from the Regina Leader Post, Rob Vanstone, has joined us. And as we mentioned last podcast, there is no downtime in the Canadian Football League. And again, this week, lots to cover. Coaching, hires. Welcome, Rob. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh... Yeah, let's let's start with uh, the Montreal Alouettes. Jason Moss gets hired as their head coach. The only outsider of the group that was being considered. All the rest were internal candidates. Machocha, of course, worked with uh, Moss back when he was a coach with Edmonton 20 years ago. How much of an influence was that, do you think? I mean, I think all these things are relationship-based. It's it's who you know, who you've worked with, who you're comfortable with. You know, he wasn't an insider, inside hire in terms or an in-house hire, as opposed to when you take into account who the Alouette currently had on staff, but given that his relationship with Danny Machocha predated uh, all of that and was was significant, I there, there was a clear compatibility there, and that 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 name had been touted for several weeks leading up to the uh, interview process. It really wasn't a huge surprise that that uh, that he was chosen. I don't think maybe 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 in Saskatchewan it was, it was a bit of a surprise because people just associated Jason Moss with that uh, terrible offense last year and, and and the terrible season the riders had, but I'm not sure that he was even remotely to blame for what went wrong. Jason Moss's scheme has worked everywhere, but Saskatchewan. And when you look at what was deficient in Saskatchewan, I'm not sure how you could reasonably have expected it to work here. What do you think the feeling is in that coaching room in Montreal? Now we've already seen Andre Bolduc is moving to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders as running back coach and run game coordinator. We also see Anthony Calvillo now moving to QB coach where he was in a offensive coordinator role. Do you think there's, there's confidence in that room and are they going to be able to gel? I would think so. Uh, you know, Jason Moss and, and Anthony Calvillo there, Jason Moss was a, was a very good quarterback. It, it, you know, some junctures in his CFL career and in 2015 uh, played a key role and pardon me 2005 played a key role and have been winning a Grey Cup coming off the bench in relief of Ricky Ray for a couple of Western West Division playoff victories leading up to the Grey Cup victory I mean obviously Anthony Calvillo is one of the greatest in CFL history Jason Moss had spasms where he was top flight the quarterback to quarterback uh, relationship should stand both in in good good stead and I'm sure you know given the fact that Jason Moss has played that position in the CFL. I, I think he, like everybody else, has a huge appreciation for Anthony Calvillo, what he's done and what he can do. So I, I, I think there, there's a lot of the same verbiage there. I don't think there'll be a huge problem, if, if any. The one interesting thing, and you, you actually touched on it, is that Calvillo and Moss, of course, cross paths, but as 
opposite quarterbacks. One was with the Alouettes trying to win Grey Cups. One was with Edmonton trying to win Grey Cups. Obviously, there'd be no lingering sort of animosity over what happened back then. But it must be weird for you to now be in the same room discussing strategy with a guy that you used to try to defeat on the field. Although the CFL is such a small league, you know, it may be the odds wouldn't be as wouldn't be the same as if it's the National Football League and there's you know 32 teams. And suddenly, when you're talking about nine teams and there's there's the odd player who ends up with most of those teams, you know, there's the Sean Lemons and the Kevin Glens of the world that that seem to have played everywhere. It, it's, it's, it's not at all a novelty for, for players to uh, be a, an opponent and then a teammate the next year. It's just, uh, that's just the nature of a, of a small league with a lot of one-year contracts and a lot of transients among the players. Fair enough. Looking back at his tenure as head coach with the Edmonton franchise, 2016 to 2019, 39 and 33 overall, his best season, 2017, 12 and six, lost in the West final to the Stampeders that year. Overall in the playoffs, he was good at winning semifinals, but he couldn't get through finals games and he would lose all three that he appeared in. It's it's not like it's a stellar record, but it's not a bad record. And how how is how is that team done post Jason Moss? I think you have to look at that too. Maybe people in Edmonton expected more, but what they would sure love to have the kind of performance that the team had under Jason Moss subsequent to, to his departure. Uh, I think I, there's somebody I think who who is deserving of a, of another shot at being a head coach. I think he'll do pretty well as long as he's given the. Uh, authority to do so i would i would be wary walking in, in, in walking into a situation where danny machocha is a general manager because we saw what happened to kahari jones last year and if, i don't think it necessarily happens quickly but if if uh the performance wanes you know you've got a, a general manager there who has been uh, known to take over as the head coach in the short term i don't think that's a concern but should there be any any issues is there a reason to be wary of uh danny machocha doing uh, or kind of reenacting past season where there was a very short leash with uh, Kahari Jones. Do you think Jason Moss and Anthony Calvillo are ready to roll with Trevor Harris as their number one quarterback? Or do you think there's some movement there to maybe bring somebody in to, to challenge the veteran a little bit? Well, if you bring in somebody else, you're not really up- upgrading the position. Uh, you, know, you're less, you know, Nathan Mork and Doc Kalaros aren't going to end up with the Montreal Alouettes. And I don't think Aside from those two, there's a there's a quarterback in the Canadian Football League who's clearly been Trevor Harris. Uh, it's, it's a real shortage of talent at the quarterback situation. And I think if you have a guy with, with his uh, credentials and his ability, granted it's not elite, but it's as good as you're going to get in this league after you discuss uh, Caleros and Rourke. Unless Bo Levi Mitchell has a renaissance. What, what is out there? that uh, is going to be clearly better than Trevor Harris. Bringing up Bo Levi Mitchell is quite fascinating too, because let's consider that how hard the Hamilton Tiger Cats are going after him, doing everything to get him to get that name on the contract. Yeah, and that's going to be interesting to follow. I mean, he has said that he wants to uh, test free agency, which is a smart thing for him to say if you're uh, looking for some leverage in negotiations with the, with the Tiger Cats. I'm not suggesting that he's saying that strictly for those reasons, but it certainly doesn't hurt him from a negotiating standpoint. The odds are it's more likely than not that by mid-February, Bully by Mitchell will have signed in Hamilton. Uh, they didn't trade for him not to sign him. And again, they're looking at this, you know, the kind of situation that 
in a way that Montreal is looking at. If you don't get this guy, who else is there? It's interesting, too, that Dane Evans rather publicly showed himself moving out of Hamilton. And that probably is his sort of rancor over the fact that they're going so hard over Bo Levi Mitchell. Hamilton has played that card. I mean, as soon as you make that trade, it's not like you can say, okay, if they don't sign Bo Levi Mitchell, it's not like they can say, okay, well, we'll go back to Dane Evans. And as soon as you make that trade, it's also a vote of non-confidence in your starting quarterback. So if you don't get Bo Levi Mitchell, it doesn't mean you're defaulting back to Dane Evans. It means you are starting over with somebody new. It sounds like you're predicting several teams to have new starting quarterbacks coming up for the 2023 season. Oh, you would think that that Nathan Rourke is likely going to sign in the National Football League. Uh, I'm not sure Vernon Adams Jr. qualifies as a new starting quarterback in BC because he saw significant action there, but he certainly isn't their preferred quarterback. You know, Jake Mayer in Calgary. Uh, you would think Taylor Cornelius in Edmonton. Who knows in Saskatchewan? Uh, Zach Kalaros in, uh, in Winnipeg. Who knows in Ottawa? Uh, we're not even really sure about Toronto right now. Is it McLeod Bethel Thompson? Is it uh, Chad Kelly? Might that be Bo Levi Mitchell? Who knows in Hamilton? And I would think Trevor Harris is going to be back in Montreal. But if you're Trevor Harris, you got to look around and think, man, there could be a really good market here. Supply and demand favors a quarterback. Uh, becoming a free agent with a resume such as his. Edmonton's kind of an interesting one. Taylor Cornelius had some flashes in this past season, but Trey Ford is also there, and I would think he would maybe get a look come training camp as well. And they spent a first-round draft choice on him. But they also extended uh, Taylor Cornelius. Uh, I don't. I mean, they're not paying top dollar for Cornelius, and, and uh, they wouldn't be spending a ton of money on, on, on Trey Ford. Uh, so maybe they've got an affordable uh, or a trade affordable uh, quarterback situation in in Edmonton. I, I like what I saw of Cornelius uh, last year and even in spurts the year before. Uh, not a lot of success overall for the Elks, but he can really fire a football and he can really run. I, I'm not surprised that they're somewhat committed to uh, Taylor Cornelius. I think given an opportunity and given a better supporting cast, uh, They'll do well. Who knows? They might even win a home game next year. Trey Ford is working out with the Las Vegas Raiders this week. So it's not a given that he's going to be back, although most likely he will be. Would there ever be a situation where maybe the Rough Riders come knocking and saying, hey, we'd like to talk trade. Can we get one or the other onto our roster? Uh, yeah, but I, you know, I think if you're Edmonton, if you're going to make a trade uh, involving a quarterback, you'd probably make it with an East Division team. Uh, I would say it's unlikely that uh, that uh, you're going to bolster a, a divisional rival. In the case of the Rough Riders, they're going to want to go with a veteran because they've got a. They're not in a situation where they can really develop a young quarterback. They with uh, uh, Jeremy O'Day, the general manager, and Jay, and Craig Dickinson, the head coach, uh, with one year, just one year left on their contracts, they're out the door if they don't win quickly. They don't turn it around quickly. So it's. In a lot of cases, I think given the given the lack of depth among veteran quarterbacks this year, I think there is a there's a case to be made in a lot of places for trying to try to groom somebody as opposed to maybe settling for a quarterback who's a six or a seven out of ten. But I just don't think there's the luxury of time or patience uh, with this regime. After everything that went wrong last year, they've got to come out of the gate strong and win. Or by Labor Day, there may be a new coach and GM here. Do you think that they? Go after both? I, I would think that the coach would be first to go. I think O'Day would be given an opportunity to get rid of the coach 
promote somebody else and see if we can turn this around, show that I'm active or proactive. I don't know if this, if this season turns out to look like last, I, I can't see either of them returning. And I think there's also the precedent to set in, in 2015 by Craig Reynolds, the president and CEO uh, at mid-season. A lot of people thought Corey Chamberlain would be fired as the head coach, and he was. Uh, Craig Reynolds went one step further and also made a change to general manager, let go of Brendan Tamman. Unless it's so clear that there's a widely acknowledged level of talent that is not being sufficiently tapped by the uh, or utilized by the head coach or the coaching staff, I if they if they decide that that there needs to be a change, I think there's probably going to be a I, I think they'll be more than surgical in uh, in and who is the who is displaced. Mentioning 2015, that brings about the Ottawa Red Blacks this year and Bob. Dice now is their head coach. Of course, he was the interim coach after Corey Chamberlain. And uh, I mean, he had a quite the, uh, he improved the Rough Riders fortunes infinitely. They were 0-9 when Bob Dice took over and they were, they won three games for the remainder of that season. So uh, uh, there's not even a, an actual number you can attach to the improvement uh, percentage wise that Bob Dice was able to uh, get out of this team. Still wasn't a very good football team, but I think they were more respectable over the second half of, the, of that season than they were over whatever it was for the first half of uh, 2015. I'm, I'm glad that Bob Dice is getting that opportunity. I think a lot of people in the Canadian football community are happy for it. I know there's a lot of players. I think anybody who's dealt with Bob Dice is, is delighted for him. And, and not just because he's a, he's a tremendously nice guy, but I think his credentials have been well-established over time. I really applaud the Ottawa Redbacks for doing what they did. I think you can look for a, a better Ottawa team next year and the years ahead because they've got such a uh, – there's not going to be any uh, problems with team culture when uh, you've got Bob Dice there because he's just such a solid guy and people respect him so much and are going to not only enjoy playing for him but but play as hard as they can. He's really working on building a, a strong coaching staff as well. He's added Kahari Jones as offensive coordinator. Aaron Miles is defensive coordinator. They certainly have outstanding resumes. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of people thought there was, there was going to be that improvement this season or this past season because Ottawa had been so active in free agency and then the season turned out to be another dud. Now we'll never know uh, how that season would have turned out if not for the events of July 8th when uh, Garrett Marino uh, hit Jeremiah Mazzoli low and... Uh, that ended Mazzoli's season. Maybe it effectively ended the Red Black season as well. But the Red Blacks weren't exactly you know, on a blistering pace before the injury. But uh, you know, given stability of quarterback next year and and maybe more stability than they're accustomed to having in, in terms of just the way the football operations are run, the, the team is run, maybe they can a year later than expected have at least a mini breakthrough. Well, the one thing about that, incident on the eighth is that at the time when Garrett Marino did this, one of the coaches for Ottawa that actually came onto the field and was trying to get the officials attention and then basically wanting to get Marino's attention was Bob Dice. He was defending his player. Craziness of that evening. I never noticed that there's so many, so many directions one can go talking about July 8th and what a turning point that was arguably for both both franchises that evening but uh, that's the kind of thing where I think players know that they have an ally in Bob Dice not someone who's going to be who's going to be such a player's coach that he's a, a pawn for them 
there's there's I think somebody he's he's going to manage that deft trick of being uh, someone of whom the players are fond yet they know they can't uh, uh, that there are boundaries and that uh, he is he does is someone who commands respect he's he's just a tremendous man. The one person who the odd man out right now is Mike Benavides in Ottawa. Where does he wind up in all of this? Hmm. Well, who's looking for a defensive coordinator? There's been so much talk during the offseason about quarterbacks, and that leads to discussion about offenses. But who needs a defensive coordinator right now? There's not a lot of openings that I can see just going through the league. Those positions seem to be pretty stable, don't they? Yeah. So he is right now the odd man out in Ottawa. It just the way it worked out. Ottawa's defense was decent last year. It wasn't they weren't the best, but they certainly weren't the worst. Well, they, you know, they, they had a, a league award winner on that defense. <laughs> it uh, weren't many success stories for that uh, team last year, but but that was one of them. Uh, and they did have a decent. If you look at the look at them on paper, there was certainly more to be had. It would seem than 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 what the results showed. You know, Ackland had a tremendous year as a receiver. And just they've got some players there who can play, uh, but they just weren't performing for Paul Lapolis. Shifting gears back to the Rough Riders, we talked a little bit about the the quarterback situation. What is the other main target in free agency? Do you think that the Rough Riders are looking for beyond possibly a starting quarterback? Uh, I'm not sure if free agency is necessarily the vehicle, but the big target I think has got to be offensive linemen and specifically offensive tackles. They've signed a couple of American tackles during the offseason. I would expect them to perhaps sign 38 more of them. Somehow they've They've got to they've got to fix that line, especially the tackles. Uh, I think the only real safe position right now is Logan Furland at left guard. I would think they would want Dan Clark back at center. He's 35 next year and eligible to become a free agent. I would think Dan would be back. Uh, not so sure about Evan Johnson at right guard. I can't see either or any of their incumbent uh, tackles returning. There's just there's no case for it. And I think they, they need a game-breaking receiver. I mean, lost in a lot of the discussions about the Riders uh, is the fact that they just don't have an explosive receiver. They were hoping that person would be Duke Williams, and he was a, he was a major disappointment this past year. Even There were 10 games in which he didn't play, but uh, some of the eight in which he did play were, there were uncharacteristic drops. There were some discipline issues, the helmet throwing, for example, in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. Uh, they were hoping for that the Duke Williams would resemble the 2018 version in Edmonton, who nearly got thir- nearly got 1,600 yards, and uh, they did not get that player e- that type of player even when he was available. Somehow they've got to get a game-breaking receiver because they, what they have just won't cut it. There's just not enough speed. There's not enough playmaking ability. Uh, there's just not enough anything on that receiving core. Uh, so much was made about the offensive line and, and so much was made about the quarterbacking and the times of play calling. I think people really overrated that receiving core. It wasn't that difficult a receiving core with which to contend. There, there's always talk about offensive lines and everybody wants to shore them up, but it seems if outstanding offensive tackles were easy to come by, everybody would have a Stanley Bryant and Jamarcus Hardwick on their team. It, it's undoubtedly a, a target for the Rough Riders and uh, I agree with you. I think they're going to bring a lot of them into camp to have a look at and have to see what sticks. And it's the ratio always comes into play a little bit as well. But Winnipeg has shown success with having Americans on that offensive line. 
once upon a time, Jamarcus Rohardrick was a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. And there was a day several years ago when Stanley Bryant was almost a Saskatchewan Rough Rider. They had one and they could have had the other one. You would think supply and demand, though. I mean, it's, it's so dangerous with quarterbacking, but there's, there's so many, because you're not basically painting yourself into a corner and saying we need Canadian tackles, uh, there should be a lot more options to uh, upgrade the offensive line at your disposal than uh, there would be if you were, say, if you concluded that your guard spots or your center was deficient. Uh, there's how many American tackles out there? They should be able to find two. But as Heath pointed out, though, if you do sign Americans on your offensive line, that means you've got to find places for Canadians to play somewhere else. But teams so routinely go with American tackles now. I mean, the Riders signed Jamal Campbell, a Canadian tackle last year. I think the, the presumption going into the regular season was he would play right tackle. He, he did not. Rarely saw the field. You know, for example, in 2019, when the Riders finished first, they had two American tackles. They had Ter- Terran Vaughn at left tackle and Thaddeus Coleman on the right side. So that's kind of become the convention is, is for your bookends to be Americans, uh, unless there's a really exceptional Canadian there. So it doesn't really affect the ratio as much as it would have been. I remember years ago when Rudy Phillips was playing tackle for Ottawa. I was like, oh my goodness, there's a there's an American tackle. It used to be that offensive lines were just five Canadians across the board. And there was it was very rarely there was an American. After the Riders played Don Swafford at tackle, I think his last year here was 83. After that, it was just, I can't rem- remember how long it was after Don Swafford that they had another American playing offensive line. But the pendulum has now swung to where it's almost American tackles and then your interior alignment are almost always Canadians. Let's talk about Cody Fajardo. If we're talking about the Rough Riders, you have to talk about Fajardo. Now, whether he is to blame or not for what happened last year and what his relationship is with Craig Dickinson at this point in time, Fajardo is an FA. Does he land somewhere in the CFL? And if so, where? Uh, Not Saskatchewan. I'll narrow it down to that. And this has mystified me ever since two weeks remained in the in the 2022 uh, season when when the Rough Riders benched him. And instantly people were saying, what does this mean for next year? Well, I think they've already played their hand there. They have no intention of bringing Cody Pajardo back. I would be absolutely shocked. They've said all the nice things post-script, but uh, actions do speak loud, louder than words. And with a, a, heading into a game that the Rough Riders absolutely had to win to maintain any continued slim, albeit slim mathematical uh, chance of making the playoffs, they, they decided to bench him. They're moving, they're moving in a different direction than Cody Fajardo. Where will he end up? Part of it, I think, depends upon the... I mean, there's, he's just one of many moving pieces. I mean, some, some have suggested that BC might be a nice fit. You know, Nathan Rourke doesn't, doesn't end up uh, returning to the Lions, but you know, Jason Moss said some nice things about Cody Fajardo the other day, but if Trevor Harrison's back in Montreal, that negates that. You know, what what does McLeod Bethel Thompson decide to do? If he isn't back, does that automatically mean that Chad Kelly is a starter there? If if that's the case, is there a nice opportunity there for Cody Fajardo to come in and provide some experience as a compliment to him? Uh, what's Ottawa going to do? There's There's a few potential landing spots there. I'm not sure how many starting positions he's going to be in line for. I think he's shown he, that he can start in this league, but uh, uh, he needs a fresh start and somebody who, who believes in him and somebody who's going to give him the kind of, kind of support with 
actual pass protection, the Rough Riders failed so miserably at providing last season. You've eliminated the Rough Riders. I'm going to take one more off the list and say, based on Chris Jones's comments last season, he's not going to be with the Edmonton Elks either. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. You know, and I would think that the Winnipeg, with the amount of money that they're sinking into Zach Caleros, you're not going to have a quarterback making a ton of money as a backup. And there's really no chance of prospect of starting there. So I wouldn't think that his agent is going to look too favorably upon going to Winnipeg. So, but the, the East is going to be interesting to follow because there's some, there's some dominoes that, that have to fall out East in several places and maybe Calgary, who knows? I mean, uh, with, with Jake Mayer and, and Tommy Stevens, uh, maybe the Stampeders are, are set pretty well there. It's going to be interesting in Ottawa because does Jeremiah Mazzoli get back on the field? What do they do with Nick Arbuckle? If either don't make it back to play or are jettisoned for whatever reason, then the Red Blacks are in play for a free agent quarterback. Yeah, and that's a bit of a poser, that situation, because Jeremiah Mazzoli, I mean, the, he's... He almost won a Grey Cup in, in 2021, the way he played. But uh, he's, he's 35 years old next season, coming off an injury. You really don't know. Nick Arbuckle's we talked earlier about players who end up in lots of places. And Nick Arbuckle is becoming or has become that player. What's the comfortability factor? What we don't know, too, is just what other teams' appraisals are of Cody Pajardo. Are they going to be like the Rough Rider coaching staff and, and, and say, well, you know, they think that quarterbacking is the issue or will there be teams that say, look, look what he did in 2019, 20, uh, 2019 uh, when the team wasn't allowing 77 sacks. Uh, I think a fresh start would be so beneficial for him. He did that with McAdoo as well. Yeah. I'll still wonder, you know, what if, what if the play calling in the 2019 West final hadn't been so awful inside the 10 yard line? Uh, you know, would Stephen McAdoo have stayed here? You got to think that was that tipped the balance as far as what the Rough Riders decided to do with a change in offensive coordinator after that year, because by and large the the play calling of Stephen McAdoo hadn't been an issue that year, and he uh, you cannot subtract him from the equation when you look at the the breakout season that Cody Fajardo had, the fact that the team finished in first place. Jason Moss became available, the Riders jumped on him, and and then the same calendar year, twenty twenty two, they announced. Uh, January 27th, that they'd, they'd extended Jason Moss's contract and they announced December 1st that it had been terminated. Again, it was just really erratic messaging from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. On one hand, they think enough of him to not only hire him, but extend him. And then he's cast aside uh, because the offense didn't produce, not like the, there was really much he could do with the, with the cast at his disposal. Well, in Craig Dickinson's tenure, we're coming up on the third offensive coordinator in four years. Yeah, and and you know Craig Dickinson has said recently, and he said in 2019 that he's a real proponent of the run game. Yet, when they brought in Jason Moss, it was no secret that Jason Moss is a pass-oriented coach. And so, even at the time, it's like, well you said that you like a coach that's uh, that really emphasizes the run. Well, that's not Jason Moss. They knew that coming in and, and yet they extended that contract. And then when, then when replacing Jason Moss, they, you know, Craig Dickinson said that they want somebody who's going to, they, they want a running game to be a foundation of what they do offensively. And that's fine. You went out and hired an offensive coordinator who you knew was going to be partial toward the pass. 
and and not just was not compatible with the philosophy going in. It's not like all of a sudden in 2021 when the offense didn't go the way they wanted and uh, and the running game was at times overlooked. Uh, it, it's not like that should have been a surprise to anybody. His resume was well well established and his resume was pretty impressive. Again, there's just been really erratic messaging from the Rough Riders, especially over this past year. What kind of record do you see the Rough Riders needing in order for Craig Dickinson to be around at the end of 2023 and possibly beyond? Uh, whatever can get them a home playoff game. So that's generally what, 11 wins? You know, maybe a, maybe a strong 10-win season or a, or a nine-win season where they get hot in the playoffs as they have been known to do with nine wins. I think that's where whatever it takes to get that home playoff game, I think that's where the bar would be set unless, unless it's a really strong third-place finish. That, to me, would seem to be the logical. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but here's the, here's the question that I have. A team that doesn't win a game after September 1st, what is going to turn them around to make them a team that's going to be in the playoffs, especially when BC is probably going to be as good, Calgary is probably going to be as good, Winnipeg is going to be as good, and that leaves whom are you going to beat? Edmonton? And I don't think the Elks are going to be that poor two years in a row. Well, look at year two in Saskatchewan with Chris Jones compared to year one. And that that, that year one team really struggled. And they, they got hot for a few games in the fall, but that was a really bad team for most of the year. And then you look year two and, under Chris Jones and they go 10 and eight and they're within one play getting to the Grey Cup. I would expect Edmonton to be significantly better. Yeah, so at, at whose expense do you gain ground? Especially with the schedule being what it is, it's not like you can fatten yourself against the East teams because they're playing each of their divisional rivals three times now. Where do you make up those victories that you were unable to uh, to, to get last year? Where's where's the quarterback who's gonna who's gonna take you in that direction? It really is a it's a formidable challenge ahead of them. Yeah, but you know, maybe going back to your previous question, if they can do what Chris Jones did in 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 twenty eight to twenty seventeen, they they finished fourth with ten and eight, but they got hot in the playoffs and almost got to a Grey Cup. That could be a a job saver too. You're right. I mean, I, Calgary's going to be Calgary. They're going to be in the mix. Winnipeg is going to be Winnipeg. They're going to be in the mix. BC is a team that could take a tumble without Nathan Rourke. That's maybe where you pick up some victories, but I don't think the the Edmonton's going to be a gimme. And they lost Edmonton uh, this past year. Where do you add victories to your uh, woefully woefully substandard total of six? Uh, Speaking of Nathan Rourke, we know he's worked out for about a third of the teams in the NFL now. Where do you rate his chances of sticking somewhere as a a number two guy in an NFL situation? I would think pretty high. When there are that many teams that are interested, even if a small percentage of them is interested enough to provide uh, the kind of opportunity or the kind of signing bonus that he would uh, want. When there's that much demand to look at him, you would think it it almost signals it being inevitable that he'll go to the National Football League. He hasn't completely solved the Canadian Football League. It's not like he's won a great cup here. It's not like he's had a full season of success, but what he saw, what he did over that first half of the year with 25 touchdown passes, it's got to be so tantalizing get that opportunity and there's a good contract in front of you, why wouldn't you take it? You can always come back to the Canadian Football League, but you might not get that, that NFL opportunity again. And, and he has seen too, you know, one play can change a lot of things. Uh, one night at Mosaic Stadium, his season got uh, postponed for a number of weeks because of an injury. And so with given the 
given the fragile nature of a professional football player, you, you get that opportunity, you take it. I'm kind of wondering if in the NFL, he's getting so many looks because of that first half of the season. It's more of a curiosity thing. I want to see if this guy's for real and does he merit my interest? There's no hiding that ability. The the, the tight windows that he's was able to fit footballs into, and that's a it's a more slender field in the NFL than is in Canada. Quick to make a making ability, even uh, I mean, there's only so much he's going to be able to do as far as mobility with the with the still coming off the injury, but that that raw talent and the 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 accuracy, it just just this just seems to me that the mechanics being what they're what they are, and you look at. Look around the National Football League and some of the duds that are starting quarterbacks right now. You got you got to think too that the opportunity has just got to be so tempting for for Nathan Rourke because all you got to do is watch NFL on a Sunday. It's like why is why are they playing him? Why are they playing him? And we're not talking about you know number twos where you question why they're on the roster. There's a lot of number ones that it's really difficult to make a case for. Again, I'd be very surprised if he didn't. I'd love him to stay. I'd love to see what he can do over a full season. It kind of took the steam out of the entire year for me when Nathan, when Nathan Work went went down here, because uh, that's somebody who was on pace for 50 touchdown passes, and that's never been done by a quarterback in the CFL before. Have you been following many of the other players that have been getting looks south of the border? I, I saw today that Dalton Schoen has uh, worked out with the Minnesota Vikings as well. Is there anybody that you think has a legitimate shot at sticking? with an NFL roster? Um, I haven't really been following it that closely. I'm Ken Schaefer Baker, the Rough Riders has gotten some look because it's not like he's completely solved the Canadian football league yet. It was tough as a member of that offense or that receiving core to do much when the quarterback's not getting much time, but you wonder how intrigued teams are going to be with, with Ken Schaefer Baker and just the, the incredible physical skills that he has and the, the ability to, come into a situation immediately and and really turn some heads. He came in here as an unheralded fourth-round draft choice, and uh, you could see even during training camp in, in 2021 that he just has a ridiculous amount of talent and an ability to perform right out of the, out of the gate. You're looking at a kind of athleticism, that kind of ability. I still am far from convinced that he's going to end up in the NFL, but that one intrigues me just because of the talent that he possesses. It's going to be a fascinating 2023. Of course, the Argonauts are now the defending Grey Cup champions. Of course, we've talked about McLeod Bethel-Thompson, whether or not he's going to be back. There was a lot of speculation going into Grey Cup that that would be his last game. Maybe the way he left the game might whet his appetite to try it one more time. But if not, Chad Kelly is there and showed in that game that under pressure he could perform. So Toronto could be a really tough out for everybody again. Well, I still think if you know teams are looking at their schedule and they're saying, okay, what's a really tough test going to be? If you're if Toronto's next to the schedule, you're not going to be thinking, oh my goodness, we're in for it this week. I still think you look at Winnipeg. That's the team you really have to be wary of. To me, that's uh, as close as I've seen to what Edmonton used to be in the late '70s, early '80s. And uh, yeah, they didn't uh, they didn't win the Great Cup, but that's that's still a franchise that sets the bar in the Canadian Football League. And I still think teams are going to look at Calgary that way because Calgary is just good every year. Uh, you know, Toronto won a great cup, yes, but they were far from dominant in the regular season. And uh, I think they're going to have to just be able to sustain a few seasons like that before teams look at them in the same context that they would uh, Winnipeg or even Calgary. Winnipeg has been very busy in extending contracts to players already this offseason. Kyrie Wilson, Mike Benson, Willie Jefferson, Jake Thomas, Zach Kolaris, Adam Big Hill, Winston Rose, Pat Newfeld, 
And of course, Mike O'Shea has extended for three years as well. Is the window still wide open for the Bombers to get back into the Grey Cup and, and win a couple more here before these guys age out? Well, the nucleus is getting older. And we've seen this happen in Saskatchewan where in 2011, they kept trying to win the 2009 or 2010 Grey Cups. And, and that team got old. Post-89, they stuck with the, that nucleus. And by 1991, there were a lot of those players that were running on fumes. There is that uh, danger of trying to go back to the well. Even in Riders almost won the Great Cup in 76, and they brought back pretty much the same team in 77, or most of it, even in 78, and it got old. They are at that point where they're going to need, a, a, I think, some renewal. It's not like they've stuck with all their older players. Um, obviously, Andrew Harris uh, was allowed to, go to, allowed to go to Toronto as a 35-year-old, but you know, Zach Kalaros is settling into his mid-30s. You know, Stanley Bryant is well into them. Adam Big Hill is well well into them, etc. Patty Newfeld as well. They're in a they're a bit of a precarious point. They're they're going to need an infusion of of younger uh, nucleus type players pretty soon. They might be able to wring another year out of it. I I still think at some point they're gonna, they're going to need uh, kind of change that dynamic because it's uh, tough to tough to beat the clock sometimes. And they've had success over the last couple of years of finding some gems. Like I mentioned, Dalton Schoen earlier, Elton Darby, some guys that have come in in their rookie seasons and been all-stars and award winners. It's tough to continue to do that, though, as well. It is, but, you know, if, you, if you've got, you know, good personnel people who can, can find those gems, that, that's what sustains it. And, you know, we were talking about Dalton Schoen before, uh, before last season and, and look at the kind of, kind of player he, he turned into. Especially at a time when you're when Kenny Lawler ends up going elsewhere, they ended up with a receiver who was probably better and at a fraction of the cost that Kenny Lawler would have been too. That's the other thing in Winnipeg, as as you keep that nucleus together, uh, you're also paying in some cases for past performance and paying handsomely for that. That increases the imperative of making sure that there's Dalton Schoen's being infused into the into the equation because you're. Uh, with those uh, with those veterans come salaries that are commensurate with uh, their resumes. Do you think Dalton Schoen, Nathan Rourke, were the two brightest stories from the 2022 season, or was there something else that really shone for you that you thought, wow, that's pretty cool? I just think Zach Kalaros continues to be an amazing story. Is I mean, his career was basically written off at one point in the 2019 season. Now we're talking about a back-to-back most outstanding player. I just think it is amazing uh, what he has been able to do and uh, what what he continues to do. And uh, it was basically cast out there that he's one hit away. And there were questions as to whether he should even continue playing. Well, I guess uh, it's probably a good idea for him to do so. I think he's a, he's a really intriguing story. I and looking at it, I just I think Chad Kelly's going to be a really interesting story to follow. If McLeod Bethel Thompson does return next year, what do the Argos do? Do they do they decide that they're going to go with Chad Kelly? And if they don't, he's got to play somewhere. He's, I think he's 29 years old next year. He's got to play somewhere. And the Grey Cup just kind of whetted everybody's appetite to see what he could do. And I know there was a curiosity even before that as far as what he would be able to do. It's going to be fun in 2023. Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post, thank you so much for joining the program. Really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you have a nice uh, Christmas and a wonderful uh, 2023. Same to you. Happy holidays. Thanks, Rob. You too. Take care. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to our show. 
Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean and can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Third Down Gamble. Join us again, the Third Down Gamble podcast, audio worth watching. Third Down Gamble uses the expert resources provided by Canadian Football League player and game statistics for analytics, game notes, and statistics, and 3downnation.com for news, insight, and in-depth analysis. Please visit cfl.ca and 3downnation.com for the most up-to-date information on the Canadian Football League.